All right. Hey, so chapter seven, where we were last week, we're right in the middle of the story of Gideon. Now, I've shared on a Sunday morning uh, Judges chapter seven before. So some of you may have heard part of this message already, but uh, never hurts to, to review for some of you that heard it or go through it. But basically in Judges chapter um, six, remember where we left off, where um, the, the, the Midianites are coming into the land of Israel during this season of the judges. Now, not to forget that where we are biblically is we're in this period of Israel's history um, post Joshua dying, where the nation of Israel has crossed over the Jordan. They went through the 28 conquests, 27 victories, one defeated AI that they got to redeem themselves in. They've settled in the land. And, and Joshua was under the impression that, that Israel would, would continue these conquests and conquer because even even after Joshua gave to the 12 tribes of Israel the, the allotments of land, there was still work to be done. There were still battles to be fought. There were still um, places that needed to be conquered and taken, and, um, and they just weren't doing it. They were happy to be in a place where they were somewhat resting, and they, they continued to dip and to fall into idolatry. And God would raise up um, a judge, and that's why this book's called Judge. This was a season of Israel's history where God would raise up judges, some famous judges. Gideon is one of the more famous judges that we know in the, in the Bible. Deborah might be one that rings a bell. Another big one that, that you all would know when I say the name. I'm going to take another stab at one of the more famous judges. Samson. Samson is one of the most famous judges that we have during this period of Israel's history. And so God would raise up a judge and the people would repent and he would, um, you know, get them back to God. And then, and then the judge would die or something would happen. And, and the nation of Israel would, would fall back into this idolatry. And this is the cycle they were in. Well, in this period, because of God's, um, hand of blessing wasn't necessarily there because the people weren't, weren't walking with the Lord during this season of God raising up Gideon. Um, the Midianites were, were bullying Israel basically. And they were, you know, every time they had a crop, the Midianites would come through and the Bible says that they didn't just, you know, take what they needed. They took everything and they left Israel with nothing. And then we're, introduced to this guy Gideon and where we find Gideon he's hiding in a wine press threshing wheat and I've given you the visual of what this looks like multiple times so maybe I'll spare you the the one knee smoting the other but he's he's he has to no doubt you know be throwing the wheat up and blowing it (sighs) trying to get the chaff to separate from the wheat because he's afraid of the Midianites and hiding from the Midianites. And in that wine cellar with one knee smoting the other, no faith, completely scared, God shows up and says, Gideon, oh, you mighty man of valor. And without a doubt, Gideon would have looked over his shoulder like who else is in the wine press with me? Because there's no way that God is calling me a mighty man of valor in this condition. But God saw the potential in Gideon. God saw the heart of Gideon, which we'll get to see in chapter 7. And God oftentimes sees who you're going to become and the potential of who you are and not where you are right now. You know, one of the time, one of the things is that that's a biblical truth and a principle that for me and maybe for some of the guys, we'd struggle with this a little bit more. But, you know, we think that, well, God sees the potential of who I'm going to be and, and that's where he wants me. But he doesn't like me where I am right now. He'll like me once I once I get better and once I do those things and once I get well. But, but again, the reminder that God even likes you right where you are. It's so powerful to know that, you know, this amazing love of God even transcends into liking you like he likes you. He likes who you are. He likes where you are. He, he cares about who you are. And not only does he just want to see you go somewhere, 
but, he, but he's going to walk with you in the process of where you are right now. And so God is, is there and, and, and he calls Gideon. And so Gideon puts out at the end of chapter six, and it's been like, almost feels like a month, right? Since we've been, uh, last time we've had Bible study here. And so I'll, I'll do a little longer um, kind of recap, but remember the fleece, Gideon puts out the fleece and God comes to him and Gideon's trying to discern God's will for his life. And so he puts out a fleece and basically what he does is he takes a bowl uh, uh, with cotton and um, he says in the morning, let it be that the, that the, um, all the ground from the dew is dry and, and the cotton is wet from the dew. And so Gideon comes out in the morning and all the ground around the cotton is dry and the cotton is full of water and he wrings out a bowl full of water. And you'd think, okay, he got, he discerned God's will. Like God spoke to him through this miracle. And now he knows that God is indeed calling him. And Gideon says what? Oh, God, don't be mad at me. But can I ask you for one more thing? Make it tomorrow so that the ground is all wet and that the cotton is dry. And then I'll really know. And so, of course, Gideon comes out the next day and and, and God answers the fleece and all the ground around the cotton is wet and the cotton itself is dry. And now Gideon has enough of a confirmation from the Lord that um, he... He, he, he begins to step out. He still is going to have some lack of faith. You know, it always brings up in this um, section the um, knowing the will of God for our lives. And, you know, it, it, it is, I think, probably, and I think you guys might agree, one of the um, most difficult things that we walk through as Christians, right? What is God's will for your life? What color car should you buy? I mean, even in the little things, even in the things that you know, you're discerning, you're asking God, should you take a job or not? Should you change jobs or not? Should you move to a different city? Oh, God just spoke to me. He said, no. He said, you should stay here. Don't go anywhere. But, um, but you know, and, and again, we get it all the time. I got it the other day. You know, somebody's trying to discern this. How do I know what the will of God is? And here we see Gideon who struggles with this. And here we see over and over and over again in the Bible where, where people struggle with it. And something that we as a church, and I've been wrestling with, you know, trying to, to kind of get my mind around it. And I had a pretty good conversation with my brother on this topic at the pastor's conference, even about this, you know, this building we've been praying about and stepping out. And one of the pastors at the pastor's conference and all of the Tooele guys were down in front, you know, ready to receive prayer. And, and as he prayed over us, he, he said he was challenged challenging all the people in stepping out in faith. And, and out of the blue, he says, he says, if it's that building, go get it, you know, and, and immediately all of our ears perked up, like he was speaking to us and we were asking about a building and he just happens to mention in his prayer building. And then when Daniel Fusco was teaching, um, uh, very similarly, he, he, at the end of his message, um, in his prayer was praying and, and, and he mentioned a couple of the speakers and, um, one of them is from Aurora, Colorado. And he said, God, we, you know, we're, we're praying for Aurora and we're claiming Aurora. And he's kind of just, just asking for the church in Aurora to go do big things in Aurora. And then he says, and I pray for, um, I pray for those guys I just spoke to from Utah and I pray for their city. And I, you know, and he starts praying over you, over Tooele in the message. And so two things happened that were pretty cool where, you know, we, we felt like this, this confirmation. And then, you know, we come home and, and, and we're wanting to know what God's will is. And, you know, and, and where we just left, we're in Judges now. You back up a couple of pages. Where do you find yourself? In Joshua. We just studied through Joshua. And, and the progression of Joshua is that God is, or, or not God, Joshua is, is going to the Lord and he says, God, should we go up and fight this battle? And the whole book of Joshua's conquest, it's very bloody. 
And, and every time there's this brief conversation that Joshua has with God and God says, yes, go up. I've delivered this people into your hand. And so Joshua, with the will of God, knowing the will of God, he goes out in faith. Now, there's still a ton of faith that has to happen, right? Because Joshua's going out to face giants. He's going out to face 900 chariots. And, and they, don't, they, they don't have, you know, those kind of weapons, and so, but, but the, and then in AI, the one defeat in the book of Joshua, Joshua did not ask um, for prayer because it was an easy battle. And, and the, the, the battle they just won, the army was way tougher. And so Joshua just like flippantly said, yeah, just send four or 5,000 men up and, and take care of that. And they went up and got slaughtered. And Joshua got all upset and he tore his clothes and he began to, you know, whine and, and cry that God left him and, you know, you're like, come on, Joshua, calm down, man. Look, look what's happening. You're all right. But, you know, even even in that. And, and so I was I was talking about this, this, these steps of faith in your life and my life. And I was telling my brother, I was saying, you know, like Joshua, you know, I think that, that, that myself, our church, you guys, that if we knew what God's will was, we would be afraid to step out in faith. And that's part of discerning, right, is knowing trying to decide what is God's will for you? What is God's will for the situation? And so, you know, and I'm like, I'll step out in faith. Like, I'm not afraid of giants. I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of that. And, you know, and, and we're just in a place right now where like Joshua, we're saying, Lord, should we go up? And, and, and I said, you know, my brother was giving me a hard time. He's like, well, what are you talking about? Like that, that's the whole process of faith. Like sometimes you just don't know and you step out in faith anyways, that that's what faith is. And, And so the, the, trying to reconcile the two and I don't want to lose you. So, you know, you, you discern what God's will is for your life over a, su- a subject. Now it requires like Joshua. What does it require? Faith, right? To step out. You got to have the faith to step out. There's giants. God's told you to go do something. We've all been there. God told you to go in Walmart and tell someone about Jesus. God told you to give somebody some money, pick somebody up in your car. So you, you knew at that moment. Now, now it's the faith to step out, Right. And then, and then the second part of that is not knowing. And it's the other part of the dynamic where, you know, part of faith is sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we don't necessarily know. And in those situations, what do you do? How do you find out? I mean, it, it's hard. I think that, that there's not a clear-cut answer. At times you step out. At other times, I think maybe you, you table it. Because if, 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 there's, if you can... And, and, if, and by not knowing the will of God, maybe that is the will of God that you, you wait and you table it until you feel a peace. You know, and for me, I think oftentimes God leads me with a peace and an anxiety. And I think that's biblical. If I'm anxious and, and, and not comfortable with something, oftentimes that's God speaking to me. And, and that when I get a peace about it, then I step out. You know, the Bible says in one of the most simplest but profound verses, right in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six concerning the will of God. It says to lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways. And he, I love this next word, S-H-A-L-L, shall direct your paths. So oftentimes in faith and in discerning the, God, the will of God, you, you do all your diligence and then you get to a Y in the road and, and you don't have that luxury of tabling it. You have to make a decision, but you, you, you've, you've sought the Lord with your whole heart. You, you've not counted on your own intellect. And now you have to make a decision. And so now you step out in faith doing what you believe is God's will and the best for you, even though you're not really sure. And I believe at that point you won't miss God's will. 
Because I, I believe that if, if, if Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is true, you've done your diligence, you've sought him. But here's what can happen, right? Your flesh wants to do something that's apart from the will of God. And so you, you, you're pretty good at convincing yourself over a process that that's God's will for you to buy that convertible. But you really don't have a piece about it. You really can't afford it. And God's really telling you to wait because he's got a Mazda that he's going to give you for free in a, in a couple of weeks, but you don't want to drive a Mazda. So, um, you, you know, we, we can, you know, part of the process is getting the flesh out of the way to really discern the will of God. The Bible says that if in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. So again, you can't tell me, oh, uh, you know, I talked to God, I prayed that prayer and it didn't work. No, you didn't. Because if you seek God with your whole heart, you'll find him. And so in, a, in an area of knowing God's will, seek him with your whole heart. You know, I, I have had some, some very definite um, times in my life where God was very clear on some direction for the will of God for my life. And, you know, for me, it was were table at times, like moving to Utah. That, that, was, that was a big decision. It was, a, it was a, something that I wanted to do. And I, I wanted to be used by God. I wanted to step out. It was exciting to me. It just felt good. It felt, I felt loved. I felt like, like God, God, like he doesn't hate me. <laughs> like he doesn't like, you know, like keep telling me, get out of the way. You know, you're bothering me. Like he actually like maybe he wants to use me. And I was, I was willing to go to North Dakota. Nothing, nothing, promise you, coming from Palm Springs, nothing in the world wants to go to 40 below, you know, in, in North Dakota with the wind blowing you know, 100 miles an hour and the demographic that there's eight guys to two girls in this in this county that's not going to be real friendly for my wife. And um, but I was going to go. I was going to go because I was excited to go because it was exciting that God was speaking to me and God wanted to use me. But when when God closed the door for us to go there and, and we weren't able to make it happen and, you know, physically. And then when when this opportunity came up shortly after we, we, we went through a process at that particular time, like, like I had like confirmation, like God spoke super clear by the time it was over. And we spent a lot of time, Lydia and I spent a lot of time praying, a lot of time um, discerning. And then, you know, I think I've shared the story enough times, but you know, at one point the, the thing that closed the door for us to go and start a church in North Dakota was that there was no housing. And if you know anything about what's happened in North Dakota in the last five years or so, in Williston, North Dakota, they discovered oil. They didn't discover it. I think it's always been there, but the government deregulated fracking. It's a process by which they go down and they're, they're able to get the mail. The, the, the mail. They go get the mail. They go get the oil. And they run a drill a mile into the ground. And then it does a 90-degree turn and goes a mile that way. So if the oil is on the farmer's property and he doesn't want you on his property, they can set the drill up a mile off his property, go down a mile and hang a right. And it's water and sand into the, into the um, ground. And, it, and they're able to separate the oil. Um, and, and so tremendous. With that oil discovery, the United States is the most oil-rich country in the world, more than Iraq and Iran combined. And so um, what happened was there was, an, there was a tremendous population explosion around that oil discovery and that, I keep calling it a discovery, technically it's not a discovery, but it's a deregulation of fracking and, and with the oil there and the boom. And so people from Joshua Springs had moved there for jobs and they were, they were asking us to come. And, you know, a city that was 10,000 was now 45,000. 
no infrastructure, no, no Bible teaching churches, and tons of people. But, but a lot of those people were men who were going there to work, and that's, that's why you had the big disparity between men and women. You know, there's an Applebee's in town like Tooele, but I mean, you take a, ta- a town of 10,000 and it goes to 45,000 in a two-year period, you know, you can't get a table at Applebee's. <laughs> You know, you, you, they, they were having, they were paying people 20 bucks an hour and using foreign exchange students to um, get people to come work at the Walmart there. So what does this have to do with anything? Nothing. It was kind of interesting though, huh? <laughs> All right, let's, let's get back to something that matters. It was just interesting, sorry. So God closed the door and, and we could not find a house. We could not find a place to stay. Lydia's dad was like, well, we could get you guys like a mobile wide trailer or a, a fifth wheel and, you know, you guys could, could live like 20 miles outside of town until you found something. And but he's like, Dad, you want me to move a family of five in a fifth wheel, 20 miles outside of town and 40 below and live in it in the winter in North Dakota? She's like, you must have bumped your head. <laughs> How well do you know your daughter? So, you know, short of short of living in a trailer that, you know, who knows if we'd have froze the death in or not. And we, we just could not find a place to stay. And, and so coming here, it wasn't an issue here, but it was fresh on our heart. And we're like, you know, we need to find a house. We need to find a house. And so we came to the Bible and, you know, Lydia and I have been praying about a house, about the specific thing. And I said, you know, and I don't recommend this all the time, but I've done it a pretty successfully a couple times in my 22 years of being a Christian. And I went like this. And I looked down and I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 27. And it's where God tells David that he's going to build him a house. And I look down and it says, I will build you a house. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I said, that works so good. Let's try it again. I'm trying to find like, I'll give you all the riches, you know, but we, um, and then, you know, that, that prophecy in Samuel, you know, if that was the Lord, then that would have to be fulfilled. And what happened was we came up and we put an offer up on a house in Overlake on a short sale and it fell through. And, um, again, it was kind of like a, you know, I have a North Dakota type of feelings. Like it's, the doors are all slamming on me again. And, um, so then we came back up and we saw the house that we bought, that we live in now, the guy who, who built the house, he built five of them in my neighborhood in Glen Eagles. He sold four of them fairly quickly. And that one just sat for no reason. And, and then he dropped the price five grand and, and it sat for another four or five months and he dropped the price another five grand. And then I came in like two days later and he was selling, I think he sold those for like 185. And when we got there, they were 174.5. And we bought a brand new house, never been lived in, built for us for 174,000 when we moved here. And that was that, that prophecy being fulfilled. And so, you know, unfinished basement, but we have a beautiful house now and I finished the basement. And um, so in that case, you know, the knowing the will of God and then stepping out and, and there was some, you know, for those kind of things, there was some major confirmation. I remember for Lydia, part of the, you know, one of them was through the word. Another way that God oftentimes speaks to us in the way of knowing the will of God is God speaks to people that love you and love God. Now, that's why we always say, blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the path of the sinful. So if you have a, you know, a wonderful girlfriend who, you know, you've been friends your whole life and she's a wonderful person, but she doesn't love Jesus. That's not who you get your counsel from. That's that's not who, who, who can help you discern the will of God. 
But there were, there were people in Lydia Dine's life at Joshua Springs that, that had poured into us, older, older people, that his dad's friends and, and staff members who just loved us from the time that we were dating to the time that, you know, we were ready to come. And, and they felt good about it. They said, we don't want to see you go. Like, we're, we're so bummed, but we totally feel a peace about it. We totally feel like it's right. We know this is God's will for you. And, and, the, and, and there was a, now, not to say that there wasn't some naysayers. Because you've got to weed them out. Satan always brings them and they'll always come in. There's always going to be somebody coming in no matter what we're doing as a church. And it's people in the church. You know, we're going to step out in faith and, and a lot of people feel good about it. But, you know, you've got to root out the one or two and say, I don't know. I don't know if we should be doing that. I don't know if you should be stepping out in faith. Your whole family's here. You know, it's really cold there. Really? Because it's cold? But anyway, so you rule them out. And then, and then you take, you hear that voice of the one that loves you and loves God and, and God will also speak to them and, and, and God will speak clearly. And, and I think at the end of the day, you know, you, you can, and you will know the will of God in your life. So, but, but again, and I think that maybe part of the biggest battle is God's will versus your own will. And that's, that's a big struggle, right? Because my will was to you know, do a certain thing, but, but, it, but, but got to get rid of that. So all that to bring us to chapter seven, seven. So Gideon puts out this fleece discerning the will of God. And so I mentioned that because it's come up recently a couple of times from some of you guys about knowing and discerning the will of God. So I thought we'd talk about that for a minute. All right. It says in verse chapter seven, verse one, then Zerubbabel, that is Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon and all the people who are, well, for, so, chap, so verse 1, Gideon and all the people show up. So he has the fleece, the Lord tells him, Gideon puts out a call to all of the, the tribes of Israel and says, we're going to go fight the Midianites. Now, we know that the Midianites turn out to be um, 135,000 uh, soldiers. So, so 32,000 Israeli soldiers, Jewish Hebrew soldiers respond to this call. So in verse 1, they gather there opposite of the Midianite army. And Gideon comes to the Lord and he says, okay, Lord, we're here. You know, and then so the Lord says, OK, verse two. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many to give for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying my own hand has saved me. So I'm sure Gideon said, well, what are you talking about, Willis? You know, he's looking at his thirty two thousand hundred and thirty five thousand on the other side. And the first thing that God tells him is you have too many men. He said, oh. Lord, you meant they have too many men, right? Because they have like 103,000 more men than we do. And we're, we're outnumbered right now um, pretty substantially. And the Lord says, you have too many men because if I deliver this army into your hands, then men will say that they did it on their own and I won't share my glory with anyone. And, and God said, lest anyone claim my glory. Now, God is a glory hog. Well, I don't know if he's a hog. He's Jewish, so he's... That can't be a hog, but well, God's not technically Jewish, but close enough, right? Jesus was Jewish. Um, Philippians three three says, 
For what? For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ, who have and have no confidence in the flesh. And then, um, you know, the the verse that um, that I quote all the time is out of Matthew chapter five, and that's where God says that um, you know, for you as a believer, that you're supposed to let your light so shine before men, but let your light shine in such a way that when men see it, they give your Father the glory that's in heaven. Because Jesus is not going to share his glory with anybody. Now, what, now it's his glory. He doesn't want us to take credit for it as something that we did. But what's cool, what you can be encouraged by, is that God wants to um, show, reveal his glory through your life. So he wants your life to shine. You know, some people in, you know, in wanting to be humble, because the Bible talks a lot about us being humble as Christians and, and not being prideful and not taking credit for when God does something in our lives, you know, and, and, and they get a little the wrong way with this false humility. And, you know, every, every time you try to compliment them, you know, they can't just say thank you. They say, oh, no, brother, it was the Lord. It wasn't me, you know, and it gets a little, I don't know, it gets a little kind of gag me, you know, and somebody's so over the top about, you know, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Oh, shut up. You know, but you can say humbly, thank you and not take the Lord's credit. But listen, God, God, God doesn't never say to, to, oh, just dim your light and put your head down and say, oh, you know, he said, let your light shine. Right? Isn't that the concept? Is that God wants you to be a lighthouse and bright and shine. And he wants you to do big things for him. And he wants you to have success and and, and do things that are killing it for the Lord. But just do it in such a way, the craft, right, is do it in such a way that when men see what you're doing and see the light, that they give glory to your Father in heaven. And, and, And that's the gift, you know. And for you know, for, for all of us, right, we all have different calls, but my call as, as a speaker, as a teacher, pastor, you know, I have the spotlight, you know, you say, well, it's easy because you get on stage, you have a spotlight, but you know, the, I, I try to be very careful that with this and with the glory of God, you know, people come up to me sometimes after service and say, oh, great, great sermon, you know, great sermon. And, you know, I never say, oh, it was just the Lord, man. It wasn't me. You know, I'll say, thank you. Or to say thank you, and you know, or God showed up, or but um, I never want to be guilty, and neither do you ever want to be guilty of drawing disciples unto myself. You know, and I've seen I've seen pastors who have a real gift and a real craft, but even in their teaching style, you listen to them teach, and there's just this there's this check I have in my spirit. There's this red flag because they by the time it's done, you feel like you need them. And you need what they have and you need, you know, the, you need that. And, and like, you can't do it without them. Listen, you can do it without me. Don't ever feel that way. Don't ever. It's not about me. It's about you and your relationship to God. You know, we're, we're, we're co-laborers in Christ. And whenever, you know, I, I share this all the time. I shared this with Matt and I think Rachel recently that, you know, and we've talked about it anyways, that. I was watching this prophecy update one time and at the end of it, it was like for 99, 99, you can watch, you can buy this, this program. And I can remember, like, I felt like, like on the hook, I was like, like, I have to have that. Like, if I don't get that, I'm not going to know what he knows. And immediately these flags go up. Like that, that's, that's drawing disciples unto yourself. That's that, that he's created that craftily in such a way that hooks me. Like I need him. Well, hold on. 
I know somebody who knows a little bit more about prophecy than that guy. His name's Jesus. You know, he's got the word is right here. I have everything I need in Jesus. And I don't need him and I don't need them, you know. And, and there's a function within pastor, teacher, brothers, Christ. You know, there's a function, a biblical function of teaching the word of God and, and fellowshipping together and growing. But each one of us, we have what we need in Jesus. So, um, so, so we want to let our light shine. But, God, but God's not going to mess around. God's not going to share his glory with nobody. Some people don't like that. Does that offend anybody in here? God's not going to give you any of his glory? If you're offended, I, I want to share something with you. Too bad. Tough cookies. Get a straw and suck it up. Build a bridge and get over it. No, I'm just kidding. God's not going to share his glory with you. So, so God is going to do this. And listen, in the context of this story, the whole point is that God, as you guys know, he's going to whittle down this army to, to nothing. And then he's going to give them an amazing victory so that they have to say when it's done, that was God. And, it, and then um, in verse, in chapter, or sorry, verse 3, it says, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So I think the heart of um, the, the masses here is fear. And I would say that would probably be true in our demographic. You know, if, if we had 32,000 or we had a number that was comparable to that, a percentage, whatever 22 of 32 is, is that close to two-thirds, right? Um, 